to the Kettlebell Collective podcast. On today's episode, Ian interviews Jeremy Shelton of SoCal Kettlebells. Um, SoCal Kettlebells has just launched their new e-coat line, so go check that out at uh, SoCalKettlebells.com, and that's kettlebells with a Z, or you can check them out on Instagram, and that's at SoCalKettlebells with a Z. Um, And keep tagging us on all of your kettlebell content. Um, We are at kettlebell underscore collective on Instagram, and enjoy this episode. All right, right, everybody. In today's episode, I am here with Jeremy Shelton from Los Angeles, California. Jeremy's been in the fitness industry for 20 years, and he is the owner of SoCal Kettlebells. He specializes in functional strength training and bridging the gap between physical therapy and strength coaching. Love surfing, promoting a minimalistic and active lifestyle culture and the beach community. Jeremy has also been at Equinox's flagship location in Century City as a coach for the last six years. Jeremy, happy Friday. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Happy Friday, bro. Thank you. So what was... Do you remember the first time that you used a kettlebell? Oh man, that was, yeah. So that was probably at Equinox in Pasadena, probably somewhere around 15 years ago. Yeah. And right on. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I saw people do stuff. At first I thought it was like, a, when I saw the swing, I was like, oh man, that guy's really getting in on his deltoid raises. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I quickly got corrected by a buddy after that and then just kind of started learning from there. That's awesome. Very cool. And then just last year, you started your own kettlebell company, SoCal Kettlebells. Tell us about that. I did. Um, I mean, things were, um, it was pretty slim pickings for kettlebells and all exercise equipment. And um, luckily, I immediately hoarded as much stuff as I can that the day that the NBA shut down, I was like, all right, this is going to take, this is going to be bad. Um, So I just started scouring the web for everything I can get, um, you know, bumper plates, trap bar, regular barbell and kettlebells, of course. And luckily I was able to get enough stuff for me. But um, as my clients started coming around wanting to train again on Zoom, um, they needed a resource to, you know, help, help them find equipment. And um, I, uh, I take Epsom salt baths every morning to kind of clear my head and, and meditate and everything. And one morning when I was in there, I just had an epiphany. I'm going to, I'm going to start my own thing and see how it goes, you know, put, uh, put tools of strength in the hands of the people, um, focused here in Southern California and, um, try to create a culture of, of strength and community and uh, a little bit of that SoCal vibe of, you know, getting outside as much as possible especially after a year where, you know, people were encouraged to stay inside. Um, yeah. And it all kind of took off from there, man. That's awesome. I would, I'd say uh, I like your logo the best out of all kettlebell logos out there. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. That, that, um, that, and that was kind of an epiphany too. I thought like, what could I call my kettlebells? And I went through a bunch of different kind of ideas and I, I felt like everything had kind of already been done in terms of like 
hardcore strength training, you know, that kind of more tactical, mil tactical, militaristic sort of approach. And I wanted something a little more laid back that, that spoke to the soul of people like me that love surfing, love being at the beach, love getting in the ocean, um, you know, just love being under the sun and being around other people and, you know, having that, um, that feeling of, um, I don't know, use the word community again, but, but yeah, community. I mean, we, we were encouraged to stay away from each other. And um, I think that's detrimental to, to everybody. And um, I just felt like that logo could help some someday, hopefully help bring people together. And so to hear you say that, that you like the logo the most, that, uh, that means a lot because that's what I was going for. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to throw these headphones on cool. the, um, and the vibe like Southern California. I know because I moved out here, Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Cool. I know because I moved out here five years ago from the East coast, very different vibe, very welcoming and huge beach culture, you know, yeah. surfing, uh, hanging out on the beach. Um, and what, a, what a great spot to take some kettlebells, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. So if you don't, follow Jeremy yet make sure you follow Jeremy Turbo on Instagram is Turbo a nickname uh yeah I mean that that I my buddies kind of called me that because I used to be hardcore into kickboxing and uh, okay. you know in my 20s I was just a energizer rabbit of just you know uh pre-workout and lack of sleep and partying and training people so my buddies would just say you're you're a little too turbo right now. So, <laughs> but cool. uh, not quite as turbo now that I just turned forty. But you know, I do what I can. <laughs> turbo enough to start a business during the pandemic. So yeah, 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 just enough turbo left. You know. Yeah, awesome. And make sure you follow his his kettlebell account. It's SoCal Kettlebells on Instagram. Yeah, with a with a Z at the end for a little extra flair. Yeah, Z at the end, and we will link to both of those in the notes. So you did kickboxing as well. It sounds like you have a very varied fitness background. Yeah, I, um, when I moved to California, um, you know, I was already big into fitness, and I wanted something to apply, you know, all my strength and mobility training to. So I started going to this kung fu school when I was living in Pasadena, and um, so that's where I learned uh, a lot of fundamentals for, you know, more traditional Chinese martial arts. And then from there, I just start, I started making friends with different, different people that practice Muay Thai and different, and Taekwondo um, and different MMA striking um, schools. And from there, I just, just soaked it up like a sponge and practiced a lot again in my twenties. I, you know, had a ton of energy to work on that stuff. Um, and yeah, after that, uh, as I got into my thirties, I started surfing and um, surfing kind of took the place of martial arts. Um, mm -hmm. As I, you know, when you're in your 20s, you kind of, you're a bit more aggressive and, you know, maybe a little more down to, to throw down if you have to. And, but uh, chilled out in my 30s a little bit and it started getting in the water and um, wanted to try to bridge the gap between surf, surfing, strength training, corrective exercise, and kettlebells. So that's kind of been my, my journey as of late. Beautiful. Again and again, I see martial arts come up 
in uh, kettlebell practitioners with kettlebell coaches. Why do you think that is? Um, in particular, I think it's it's great for for jujitsu artists because in jujitsu it's all about leverage, and with kettlebells you have to learn how to learn how to finesse that thing so you're only using strength when you need to, and then using momentum when the weight lets you use the momentum, right? So it's all about movement efficiency. If you're just trying to muscle that kettlebell the whole time, you're going to burn out quick and probably hurt yourself. And same exact thing with martial arts. So all about movement efficiency, controlling momentum. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. And uh, so behind you, you have an arsenal of fitness equipment here. Yes. Like so, um, some steel clubs over there, some maces, uh, nice really cheap and effective cable thing right there that used to be a, a speed bag. Um, neighbors hate the speed bag. So I, I take that um, trap bar, of course, got the surfboards and over there, I got the, the power blocks. Um, nice. A couple of CMBs over there from Sorenex. Um, and then a TRX kind of sitting in the corner, a couple some Vipers, bumper plates and um, off to the side over there. You can't really see, but um, there's some some nice regen equip equipment, uh, mobility wads wad stuff to work all the kinks out. You know, awesome, awesome. I like the surfboards overlooking the kettlebells. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely saved a lot of space. Before they were just kind of stacked in the corner on the ground, so you know, makes cool. loading loading a lot easier too. <laughs> Very cool. What kind of uh, steel mace work do you focus on? Um, I've been. I, kind of taking a break from it but uh when i first learned again if if i when i first get into something i just i want to learn how to do it right mm -hmm. so um i made sure i refined just the the basic 10 to 2 the 360 um the mill move and then just kind of also um uh, using the using the mace as a corrective tool also um to help with uh i don't know if you guys are familiar with functional movement systems the fms screen and all that but uh, i love using that to help correct the single leg deadlift um you know i do a ton of stuff in half kneeling with it that a lot of people use vipers or, or cables with um and it just it's a great tool to like i tell my clients like humans we weren't really meant to just do like mindless sets and reps we were we were, right. we were to learn how to use tools you know whether a weapon whether they're weapons or you know tools for agriculture um we were meant to learn how to do stuff and move like that, as opposed to just kind of banging out, you know, reps to blow up the biceps. So I love this mace in particular because you really got to, you really got to be mindful of it the whole time, you know, and then you get better and better at it. And then you start going up in weight and you just, it, it's all about just improving that skill and staying engaged, you know? And I think like beautiful things happen in the brain when you're, when you get that sense of satisfaction and, you know, you, you nail down one move and then you want to learn the next and the next and the next. And then, you know, eventually you want to learn a, a completely different tool, you know? Yeah. It's definitely a, uh, bit of a learning curve with the mace. Like I was, I remember first learning and it was, I was using a 10 pound mace and I was like, you know, this can't be that hard. And yeah. then I'm completely thrown off balance just by mm -hmm. swinging that around. Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to speaking about, you know, the, the martial arts aspect of it. So the mace was used by Persian wrestlers. And, um, you know, when Westerners would go over there and, and see these guys for the first time using these things, 
they were completely blown away. You have this little guy cranking around like a, you know, a 20, 30 kilo, kilo mace, you know, and you have a big buff Westerner guy try to move that thing, rip his shoulders right off. So again, you know, it's all about like that movement efficiency, learning when to muscle something, when to let it rest and let that momentum carry you and then crank it right back over, you know, in particular with that steel mace. 360 10 to 2 action. Right on. It's very cool that it was it was it's been used for how how long how far back does that go, do you know? Is that like hundreds of years? I want to say yeah, yeah, hundreds there there's some that even speculate like, you know, 1 to 2000 years. Oh, so, wow. obviously as a you know, primarily as a weapon way back in the day as opposed to something to train, you know, your shoulders to to wrestle. Um but yeah, I mean, you can liken that thing to like a, you know, big axe, um, broadswords. It's all kind of the same mechanics where you got to learn, learn when to pop and when to relax, you know? What do you like about the steel mace to use it uh, with people learning the single leg deadlift? Um, so I'm going to back up here real quick and kind of demo what, what I okay. like. Okay, cool. So, oftentimes... I also like, I'm also a huge proponent of the, the balance beam. Oh, okay. So if, if you're doing single leg movements and your foot's turning out, then the only, only thing your knee can do is fall in. We, we want to make sure we, we prevent that. So the cool thing about, you know, getting on this balance beam is that instead of me having to cue my client, straighten your foot out, straighten your foot out, their brain has to already connect with this and you're automatically going to do it by just feeling it. So like Greg Cook always talks about having a, a sensory rich environment. So after I get them to just be comfortable, you know, standing on one foot, and I'll say, all right, let's, uh, let's test out your single leg deadlift. And more often than not, people's single leg deadlifts unloaded. I'm sorry, there's like a dark background here, but oftentimes you'll see people, you know, they're, they're turned out like that, right? Yeah. The hip will... So Jeremy was just showing, if you're just listening, he was he was demoing the hip lifting up on the single leg deadlift, hips opening. So their hip will, you'll, you'll see a bunch of external rotation, their foot will flare out. If we're doing if we're doing a single leg deadlift and we want to have proficiency at that just as much as we want to have proficiency on two legs, then in order to help correct that, I'll just get my, you know, get a bigger one so you can see the frame a little bit better. So how, how much does that one weigh? Uh, this is the 20 pounder. So one of the, the big tenets of uh, corrective exercise is uh, whatever, whatever somebody's tendency is, and in this case, it's, it's turning out, you want to pull them into that tendency so they have to actively work against it. So if I get my steel mace, I have the ball on the side of the down leg, put it on the side here, then this thing is already trying to pull me out because of the weight the weight of that that ball right there so this thing is trying to pull me this way so i have to actively drive down and forward with my right hand just to keep this bar level okay yeah so, so right now he has the mace head on the same side of his standing leg right and just like a deadlift you know all the same rules try to drive back as far as you can in that hip crease so i'll, I'll typically have my clients bang out 10 reps of that and then i'll, I'll retest unloaded and Ideally, since they just uh, pattern that movement to pull yourself opposite of the way that they were going, ideally they have a nice level hip as they're going into that single dead, single leg deadlift. And then, uh, you know, FMS terms, just working on that rotary stability. So cool. kind of connecting shoulder to hip, 
with all those diagonal diagonal muscle fibers you have running across the core on the sides. <clears throat> okay, well, that's very that's very cool. That's interesting. I thought you were going to put the head of the mace actually on the other side to help counterbalance. And keep right, yeah. even. and that's that's certainly a thing. Um, but if I do that, now I'm getting pulled this way, and that's already the way that that's already the way that like like I'm having to actively pull this way in order to counter the way that this is going. So that's something that I would give somebody after they've already mastered that unloaded deadlift, you know? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, or even a, or, you know, nice even bilateral load, give them something like that afterwards for a little fun. Very cool. Yeah. So let's jump into kettlebells now. So there's all kinds of kettlebells and coatings. What types of coatings do you does your company offer with kettlebells? So uh, our first uh, our first two batches were uh, powder coated, and then I started getting a lot of different uh, requests from customers asking about e-coat. So my e-coat line just came in on Monday. Um, cool. So yeah, we we have both powder coated and e-coat. Um, a lot of people like the e-coat because it's a little bit better for if you're doing high volume snatching, you know, so a little less, a little less friction on the, on the, on the hands. Okay. Um, whereas a lot of, a lot of people like the powder coat more for, you know, doing swings and swings and get-ups and stuff like that. So where it's, there's not as much fi friction created swings and Turkish get-ups. So. So is the e-coat smoother? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Smoother, more glossy, um, a little more sexy looking. <laughs> Yeah. So we're, we're pretty excited about those coming out. <clears throat> cool. And do you offer, uh, I know you offer the um, cast iron. Do you also offer sport style kettlebells? We, we do offer one kind, the, uh, the adjustable kettlebell sport style one. Ah. Yeah. So um, that one goes all the way from 12 kilos to 32 kilos. And uh, you just unscrew the bottom, decide how much weight you want in there and screw it back in nice and tight and you got yourself a whole set from 12 to 32 with one all in one ball swoop sick so you could just take one kettlebell to the beach and do anything yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. very cool so where do you see uh socal kettlebells going in the next few years where do i see socal kettlebells going um I mean, I, I'd love to get more, just more national recognition. I think we've done well here in Southern California so far. Um, I've uh, kept a lot of open dialogues with a lot of uh, awesome kettlebellers on the East Coast, um, like uh, Millie Movement on Instagram, uh, yeah. S. Siaka, Samantha Siaka on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, who else is out there? I'm not. Oh, uh, kettlebell queen over there in Florida. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're all kind of the, the kettlebell all-stars. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, I guess the one, you know, one of the biggest obstacles is kettlebells are kettlebells are expensive to ship. So, you know, if customer sees that they got to, you know, pay a grip for shipping, um, to get it from here to, you know, the wet to the East coast or central, the central time zone, then um, it's a little less attractive. So um, yeah, I'd like to just, I'd get, get uh, some more distribution warehouses, you know, in the middle of the country and over there on the other side of the country too. 
that would be that would be really cool and then also ideally um you know just like rogue did they they have their uh their e-coat line that's uh produced by i believe some uh some plants in detroit so if we can get some uh some really nice ones made here maybe in the west coast or southwest get manufacturing done here that'd be ideal that's kind of my my goal for the next two years two years from now very cool very cool if people ask you um how many kettlebells or what size kettlebells to start with what do you typically tell people i mean i it kind of depends on the person so if it's a if it's a guy who you know former college football player that's going to be a little bit different for you know the guy that um doesn't have a whole lot of experience with exercise and you know has kind of a, a desk job all day um um I would definitely say like, first off, if you're, if you're just starting, you know, getting one of the adjustable ones is probably a good place to start. Um, since that has so many options, mm -hmm. but, um, I would say, you know, if, if for a beginner, just getting started, having like a, a 12, a 16 and a 20, um, and I, you know, I, I don't like to say, uh, you know, man should have this woman should have this. Cause there's some strong ladies out there. Right. So, um, to start out at, yeah, 10, 16, 20, if you're like a naturally stronger, bigger person, then, you know, I'd say like 16, 24, 32 and, um, yeah, just kind of take it from there, you know? Very cool. Do you, so are you back to coaching people live now? Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I went back to Equinox in Century City, um, part-time I, before COVID I was grinding away there doing a ton of sessions every month. Um, but now at my time's divided between some clients, I still train on zoom, uh, some clients that go to their houses, some clients at Equinox and some people I train right here in my little kettlebell dojo. So, um, so yeah, just kind of all over the place. And then, you know, in between all that stuff, getting orders out to people and certainly surfing whenever, whenever possible. <laughs> and working out myself. Awesome. Do you, whenever you work with your clients, um, you mentioned bridging the gap between physical therapy and strength training. Yeah. Um, do you particularly market to people who need physical therapy? Well, I, I have a, I have some relationships with some physical therapists out there. So you know, I, I certainly make sure that that I, I stay within my scope of practice. So, um, again, I'm a big proponent of the functional movement screen by functional movement systems. So there's um, there's certain uh, certain parts of that of that movement screen that say if there's pain, then we refer them out. And I certainly do that. So mm -hmm. I never want to sit there and say, I'm going to treat this like I say, you know, what, you need to see this person and make sure that we clear this issue, because according to this screen, you have a medical problem until a medical professional tells you that you don't. And then from there, you know, just communicate back and forth with a physical therapist, making sure that I'm not doing anything to make that person's, you know, uh, situation worse. And then ideally, you know, get that person out of pain and then getting moved more efficiently and then getting to move more, you know, stronger, kind of depending on what their goals are. Um, a lot of times it's, you know, fat loss, people want to get ripped and, and toned and all that stuff. But you know, we always want to make sure that with within that journey, we're not making any any injuries happen. For sure. Worse. So. 
So tell me a little bit about uh, the functional movement screens. I've heard about them before, but I, I couldn't uh, explain it to somebody. Yeah, so um, it was uh, invented by Gray Cook and his buddy Lee Burton uh, down in Florida, or no, I'm sorry, Virginia. And um, essentially they, they wanted to find a way to help keep people from getting injured, you know, before they walked in their, in their clinics. So they said, well, what, what sort of movements can we look at that'll give us, that'll help kind of tell us risk factors for musculoskeletal in injury, just like blood pressure is a high blood pressure is a risk factor for heart disease, right? And, and heart attack and stroke. So, um, you know, they spent some time together kind of brainstorming and they came up with seven different movements that they'd want to see somebody coming in and you get a score from, from zero to three, a zero, if you have any pain, a one, if the movement is dysfunctional, a two, if the movement is okay. And a three, if there's no compensation at all in the movement. Um, and based on whatever your overall score is, they, uh, they have this really cool app called FMS pro that I love using with my clients. It's really easy to plug and play. And, you know, depending on your score, it kind of lets you know which different correct corrective exercises you could do before, during, or after training. And, uh, there's also a, a really cool algorithm that lets you know which movements to stay away from and which movements are okay to do based on your score. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, you know, functionalmovement.com, they have um, a ton of great resources. They, they give a lot of the information for free, which is great. Um, you can just click on their website and click on exercises and it has a whole library of uh, tools that I use every day with, with my clients that that need some uh, tuning up before they, you know, really go hard, high volume, high intensity with their, their exercise program. Cool. What are some of the seven movement screens? Uh, so I'll show you real quick. So the first, the, the one that you start off with is called the overhead deep squat and start with the stick at the top of your head, feet complete. The instep is completely parallel, lined up with the crease in your armpit. Start with the elbows 90 degrees, I think it's about 90. You straighten your elbows out and then you wanna descend into a squat. Now this first one gives me an overall look at what your, what your movement score is, right? And then from there, you do what's called a hurdle step. So you pretend there's a, slide that over, you pretend there's a, a red line that's at my, what's called my tibial height right there where that bump is. Mm -hmm. Start to go here, you step over that red line and then tap your heel back down like that. And what I'm looking for here is to see if this stick can stay parallel to the ground while my toe, my knee, and my my toe, my knee, and my hip all stay in line. And this gives me an idea of what um, it gives me a look at somebody's ability to balance on one foot while also giving me a look at their lumbopelvic control, aka core stability. Um, and that's a super important one because if you if you're really unstable walking and going on one foot and you're trying to do something like run you know, do put in a lot of miles with running, you know, all running is, is brief moments of being on one foot like that. You're, you're hopping, right. You're, you're going yep. forward, but if you're unstable with every single step, you're just going to wear and tear down. Um, so there's, so, so just to describe what you just demoed there, you took your, the PVC pipe in a back rack position yep. and then balanced on one foot. And with the other foot, you demonstrated stepping forward, yeah, so stepping over over what's what's called your tibial height, so the height of you know your 
Oh, your your shin your shin bone. Got it. Pulling that foot over, tapping in front of that on the ground, and then pulling it back over. Okay. So then you're looking at does that bar stay horizontal? Do the hips stay horizontal? Yeah, and you know, since I'm pretty on top of my my movement, more often than not, when I see somebody first do this, you know, they're they're usually having to kind of compensate, use their core to lift that that foot up, which you know we don't we want there to be uh, separation between what happens here and what happens here by use of you know having mobile hips, stable core, and uh, you know, nice motor control standing on that one foot. Um, so yeah, really important thing for runners to make sure that they get at least two score on. Cool. I might, what's one more? One more screen. Uh, one more. It, it, so they, uh, they just added kind of a, a nuance to their screen that, that uh, looks at ankle mobility. So there's, um, I can actually even use my, my balance beam. So this is the inline lens, right? So whatever that, that tibial height was, we'd measure that. And then we're going to use, we would use that same measurement to go, that's how far away my foot is from my heel here in line. And then I have this stick held behind my, my back. Now, whichever foot's in front, my opposite elbow is going to be up. Other hand is going to be at the small of my low back. And now uh, the idea is to, while you keep this stick perpendicular to the ground, and this also ensures a nice neutral spine, you come straight down and straight up. Now, again, more often than not, you see somebody, you know, they try to do this and they're having all kinds of issues here. Um, so when we see that, we say, well, let's kind of get to the bottom of why that is. Um, the, the nuance that they added to that screen was looking at people's ankle mobility. And the way we do that is I'd have them use a stick to help balance, toe to heel the toe like that. And then I so, have them. So right now, Jeremy's feet are in. Um, they're staggered so that they are both in the same line. Yeah. He was on a balance beam with both feet in line with each other. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, and then uh, we use this stick to help them balance a little bit because this isn't necessarily like a movement test. This is just for me to see how far this knee can go relative to this, relative to the inside of your ankle without this heel coming up. Now, a lot of times when people are like, oh, I can't, I can't get that knee very far. So if my ankle mobility isn't good, then every time I squat, my chest has to come down because my knee doesn't go forward. But ideally, when we squat, we want to have a nice good distinction between how our squat looks, right? And how our deadlift looks. Yeah. So you go to the gym, you see people doing squats and they're doing this. It almost looks like a good morning, right? Yeah. You have ankle mobility. Um, so that's why functional movement systems, Gray Cook, Liebert, and all those, all those cool folks, they added that because they noticed the ankle mobility wasn't really being addressed. And um, there's the, uh, what they call like the joint by joint approach. So I'm gonna back up here one more time. So you wanna have mobility in this joint. We have all these, all these different things we can do with our ankle, right? You know, it goes up, down, side to side, circles. So mobility there, you wanna have stability here. There's, your knee pretty much just goes forward and back. There's a little bit of rotation that can happen in there, but not a whole lot. So we got mobile, stable, and then we got mobile again here at the hip. So, you know, ideally our, our hip can make our leg go up, side, all that. 
Um, and then we want stability here at our lumbar spine, right? We have, we have these, you know, this, this kind of core set that the musculature um, kind of mimics to help keep this spine straight while we're manipulating loads, especially with deadlift squats, anything that, that involves transfer of force from the ground up. And then again, so again, it goes mobile, stable, mobile, stable. Now with our thoracic spine, we want to have a certain amount of mobility there because your thoracic spine is where all your shoulder blade muscles all kind of connect. So we live in this world where we're always doing this, we're always doing this, we're always doing this. Hunched over. Exactly. So thoracic spine mobility turns to complete crap. So whatever happens here is going to influence what happens with our shoulder blades and their ability to connect efficiently here and through here and obviously through here as well. So if, if everything's locked along like that, if I'm trying to do something like a push-up, I'm not getting that retraction. So my, my elbows are taking too much of the, uh, the pressure, right? That's kind of like an example. Um, cool. So just to summarize the, the joints that you just went through, yeah. ankles, mobility, yep. knees, stability, hips, yep. mobility, yeah. lumbar spine, stability, mm -hmm. thoracic spine, mobility. Exactly. And then, you know, going to the shoulder, we want mobility here. And then just like the knee, we want stability here at the elbow, right? Yeah. So if there's, if there's a lack of mobility in this guy here, then this one might be doing too much. Or if there's a lack of mobility at the hips, which I, I would say is probably super, super common. If there's lack of mobility at the hips or the T-spine, mm -hmm. it, a lot of times it's only a matter of time until you start seeing issues at the low back or the knees because your low back is moving in ways it wasn't really designed to to compensate for what's not happening here or here. And same thing with the knees. You see people with really crappy ankle mobility. So you see people that, you know, really have that tendency to turn their feet out when they walk. So they have to do that because they can't get that, they can't get that, uh, what's called ankle dorsiflexion at the back of their stride. So what they have to do is turn their foot out. And every time they turn their foot out when they walk, their glute isn't firing, their piriformis is turning on and they're not getting that hip extension. So this is hip extension right here, right? From here, from here to here. So if every time I take a step, my hip extension is shortened because I don't have that ankle mobility, my glute isn't being told to fire with every single step. So there's all these things people try to do with bands. You know, let's get your glutes to fire. But uh, if you're taking thousands of steps every day without that glute firing, then there's, you're just kind of like not, not focusing on the right thing. So if you can get your get your ankles mobilized and that's going to influence greatly what happens at the hip and your glutes are filed. Your glutes will fire a hell of a lot more. That's kind of. Do you have a go-to exercise to get people to start firing their glutes? Um, so again, we, if, if the reason why the glute isn't firing is because of lack of ankle mobility, then I want to address that ankle mobility first to indirectly influence what's going to happen at my, at my glute. Because again, like, I can do a bunch of bridges. I could do like a strong first hit bridge. Um, I could do like a side modified side plank with hip extension. But again, if I'm walking around every single day without my glute firing because I don't have enough ankle mobility, then I'm just kind of wasting my time with that stuff. It's good in the moment when you're working out, maybe. But again, if your foot's on the ground and that that ankle dorsiflexion isn't happening, then you're not really training yourself to live in the real world, right? You're training yourself to be good at the gym, but we want to be good inside and outside of the gym, right? Um, unless we're just, you know, trying to be bodybuilders, but 
nothing wrong with that. But um, ideally, you know, we want to we want to move well in every facet of life. So that being said, I will show you really quick a cool kettlebell corrective for the ankles. Awesome. Um, you read my mind. I was going to ask. Perfect. Perfect. So um, this is one that I, I first learned at uh, the Fundamental Capacity Screen Certification Workshop with Ray Cook. Um, that was the privilege of a lifetime to actually go to a, a workshop that he was teaching. It was when, um, kind of when the, the fundamental capacity of screen was a little more fresh. Can you see me good back there? Uh, let's try it. All right. So the cool thing about this is, uh, how's that looking? It's a little bit black, but go for it. So right you know now, what? right now, Jeremy's. I'll grab a green kettlebell just for a little better. There we go. Cool. A little better contrast. And then I'll take my socks off a little better contrast. Um, cool. Can you see my knees? Yes. Let's check this out. Okay. Get my cat in the frame. That's a SoCal <laughs> cat right there. <laughs> Um, yeah, this will work. I apologize. Okay, now we got it. Cool. Just got done working out, so things are still kind of messy. All right, so you know what? That kettlebell's too long. Let me grab this one again. Okay, so it's all in the setup, as they say, at the strong first surf. So Grab this thing. So describe your um, your body's position right now, please. So you'd start up in what's called the, the tall kneeling position. So both knees down on the ground. And then from there, you go wide enough to where you almost feel a stretch in your groin. I have super, super mobile hips. So, I mean, and then you, you back off a little bit, let the knees come in, lift the kettlebell off the ground. And then from there, you go into what's called open half kneeling or modified half kneeling. And then you get nice and tall. You want to make sure you stay stacked. And you're going to, you're going to do these ankle pulses here and here. Cool. So driving the knee out over the toes. Yeah. And then just making sure that that knee doesn't collapse in. You want to have to make sure that knee kind of tracks with the middle three toes. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the better your ankle mobility is, the more you can pull your heel in closer to here. You want to have a nice 90 degree angle here. Uh, foot to shin, and then you're going to drive out and come back in, making so not, sure it stays down the whole time, making sure that your spine stays stacked 90 degrees relative to the ground. Cool. Uh, so 90 degrees from the foot that's planted and the shin of the kneeling leg. Yeah. Right. And then now if the cool thing about this is if I want to get a little bit more of a hip mobility exercise out of it, all I got to do is scoot this foot away. And now when I do my pulses in, I'm getting a hip stretch, oh. stretching out those adductors and my hamstrings right here. And this is great, a great primer for if you're going to do squats and you're trying to get deeper without trying to, without that chest coming down again. So like I said before, you know, a lot of times when people, when people squat, and this is one of the reasons why I love the goblet squat in particular, you know, if I'm teaching somebody how to squat, I'll have them do a bottoms up squat here. So that way, if they lean forward too much, this thing's going to dump. If yeah. Have stability, 
squatting here and here. So again, this, this is that, that proprioceptive rich environment that, that they like to talk about in uh, functional movement systems. So side here, squat so I stay nice and upright and then back up. So they always say like, after you make a gain in mobility, like with those ankle pulses, let's say we did, you know, 10 with the foot close, 10 with the foot far away, <clears throat> you've probably made a little bit of a gain in mobility. Well, how do you sit, hit save on that document? You hit save on that document by putting yourself through a, a manageable motor control challenge. So patterning that, that bottoms up squat and or something as easy as just walking on a balance beam. So that way your brain says, okay, I got this newfound, I got this newfound uh, mobility in my ankle and hip. Let me hit save on that document by giving myself a manageable motor control challenge, balance challenge, stability challenge, all kind of the same thing. So that way you can kind of retain that improvement in mobility. Cool. So you're, you aren't just, um, jumping into a workout, you're doing a specific type of challenge to yeah. imprint that extra mobility into the body. Exactly. Mm -hmm. right? you, help, you help reinforce that motor program. You help refine that. So that way, when it is time to squat, your brain's like, oh, okay, I know how to, I know how to acquisition this, this program. Let's do this now. As opposed to, you know, doing the same old chest is coming down, but sticking back too much, you know, which kind of looks like a bastardized deadlift or or um, good morning. So, so yeah, I like to tell my clients, like you wanna be able to acquisition as many different movement options as possible. So I like to make sure that their squat and deadlift look completely different as far as what the trunk and the hips yeah. are doing. Yeah. Very cool. I'm gonna do that, um, that move right after this call. What, do you, what would you call that ankle mobility? Does it have a specific name? Half kneeling, open half kneeling ankle pulses. So, um, if you look, uh, I, I believe, uh, on functional movement systems website on the, the exercises section, you can find that, um, open half kneeling ankle pulses. Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> Very cool. So how, how do people order your kettlebells? Uh, www.socalkettlebells.com again, it uh, ends with a Z. Uh, they can go there and kind of check out what we have. We're in the process right now of getting the e-coat line, um, getting those those e-commerce photos taken by uh, a photographer here in LA. So we're going to get those up. Ideally, those will be up by next week. But right now, if they wanted to get powder coated, um, everything's on there. And um, yeah, they can just kind of check out what we got and and see what they need. Yeah. Awesome. And if you yeah. live in the LA area, can people just pick the kettlebells up themselves? Yeah. So we have a, um, a local pickup uh, spot over at a private gym in Sherman Oaks. Uh, my buddy Jay Mackey's gym, it's called uh, Work Fitness Studio, WRK Fitness Studio. Um, and that's owned by my buddy who I used to work at Equinox in Encino with, but he, uh, he started his own show a couple years back and um, pretty nice little spot. So, so yeah, that way you have, you, you know, if you're a SoCal local, you could save on shipping. Um, and if you make a big order, 
Um, what I've been doing lately is I've been dropping off to customers that also live in the area just to kind of save them the save them the trip and you know show my my uh, show my gratitude by helping them out. You know, <clears throat> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, very cool. All right, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ian. Very welcome. Everybody, make sure you follow SoCal Kettlebells and Jerry Jeremy Turbo on Instagram. And when you need to buy some more kettlebells, go to SoCalKettlebells.com. All right. Glad you